This episode of the Durian Pod is brought to you by Hexclad, official cookware partner of TDP. On this episode of the Durian Pod, here I was throwing that away, like a very coveted, you know, high paying whatever job. And they're like, wait, you're you're telling us you're washing dishes at a restaurant? And I'm like, well, it's my restaurant. (laughs) They like to place it into a box. Like Chinese food also, by the way, is allowed to evolve and it has to evolve. Like all cuisines, if they don't evolve, they die. It was kind of a light bulb that was like, you can reclaim your identity. And Mm -hmm. to me, the first step towards that was reclaiming my birth name. Cheers. Cheers. Our friends at Centauri here, they provided us this this beverage called Sun... Suntory All Free. Yes, Suntory All Free, yeah. Tell them what, tell them what that is. Yeah, we, we actually stocked this at the Supper Club, and it's a really tasty, non-alcoholic, zero-calorie beverage. Uh, bubbly, spritzy, delicious. We actually have it in the mocktail for our guests today as well. And uh, yeah, we're celebrating Sober October, so let's get this podcast started. What's up, everyone? My name is David. And I'm Jasper. And behind the camera, we have our wonderful Heidi. Hey, hey. And this is another episode of the Durian Pod. This is a show where we showcase our friends who have fought against the saddle standards, but still made it to the top. She is the founder and CEO of Fly by Jing. If you don't know Fly by Jing, they are responsible for the premium and all natural Szechuan chili crisp. Oh, you said it right. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> the hype is so real. She's already collaborated with the likes of Panda Express, Shake Shack, and Hot Ones. You can find them in over 5,000 stores, including titans like Costco and Amazon. She's also a, a self-made chef, founded her own restaurant in Shanghai, and eventually her own underground supper club. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, it does. Love supper clubs. She released, recently released her own cookbook that was happened last week, so congratulations on that. And then she's also about to open up on the horizon her concept unique marketplace in Los Angeles called Swa, showcasing Chinese food and heritage. So Super let us... Put our hands together for our guest today, Jing Gao. Jing, my friend, what's up? Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. I know it's a Tuesday. You came during rush hour. Super appreciate it. I came hungry, so. Oh, don't worry. I'm ready. We're here to feed you. We're here. Speaking of underground supper clubs, uh, Jasper has kind of curated a menu today to, to get this party going. Yeah. Awesome. If you're ready to eat, it sounds like you're ready. I'll get that first course started and I'll be right back. So great. Awesome. Thank you. So to welcome you to the show, what we do is the amuse-bouche, right? It's the Mm -hmm. amuse. It's the first course that we always serve at Roslyn. And it's usually something that we do during cocktail hour. But of course, you're coming here for a three course tasting menu. We pump it up so it's a little bit bigger. We're serving it tonight with some charred Bali squid. It's fresh flown in overnight. We have it actually debaned and all that other good stuff. It's charred on the pan, super hot, which is why the whole place became a Korean barbecue (laughs) joint earlier, you know? Mm -hmm. And then to bring it all together, because I really wanted to play with those themes of kind of charring and what you would see in the streets of like Thailand or, or Southeast Asia. The dragon fruit, which is in season as well, is also fire charred. To bring it all together, we were talking about a little acidity. We've got basil that is tossed in a passion fruit namjim sauce. Mm. So very bright, vibrant. We get fresh passion fruit, fish sauce, Thai chilies, a little mm-hmm. bit of garlic to bring it together. But this is going to be your first bite, and I hope you enjoy it. Can't wait. Awesome. Wow. Now let's dig in. This is like the first multiple bites. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I wanted something a little more substantial today, and I think this is the right way to do it. Mm. 
I've never had dragon fruit in like a savory appetizer before. Damn. This is very good. So we like to always prepare something special. And I know that, that we're celebrating Sober October. And also you're not drinking right now, probably because you're doing a tour of something really amazing. <laughs> and we'll talk about that later. But we have a matcha latte that actually has a little bit of honey. And we added it in with Suntory Allfree. So it's got extra nuttiness and, and that crisp flavor. And it makes it refreshing on a really warm October day. Mm-hmm. So hopefully you enjoy it. Yeah, like you said, the, the Allfree works so well with the matcha. Kind of tastes like a breakfast beverage <laughs> of sorts. Yeah. But still very refreshing. Yeah, so thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah. Let's rewind and let's talk about your upbringing, Jing. Let's talk about mini Jing. Mini Jing. Yeah, mini Jing. Let's start from the beginning. <laughs> not, not, yeah. not the hospital, but maybe a little fast forward. Okay. <laughs> and, then, and then from there. All right. Tell us, how, you know, how your parents, how you grew up, yeah. where. So I was born in Chengdu, the capital of Sichuan province, also known as the food capital of China. It is you know, just an incredible, like, food lover's paradise, right? I was born into that, but grew up kind of all over the world. My parents' job took us to Germany and then England, Austria, France, Italy, and then Canada. So we were pretty much on the move every year of my life until almost high school. So as a kid, I, I think I learned very early on to sort of assimilate and adapt to my environment, try to code switch, try to fit in. I was in, you know, countries where... The, the language, the culture would differ drastically year to year. So kind of the way that I, the best way I knew how to cope w- was by trying to blend in. <clears throat> so at a very young age, I think it was five or six, I decided that I was no longer going to go by my Chinese name. I was going to go with a Western name that was easier for the kids to pronounce. I wouldn't stick out as much because I was already the only Asian kid everywhere I went. So I don't know where I came up with this, probably from TV, but I just decided to call myself Jenny. So from that day on, I was Jenny. And but, you know, I remained Jenny for the next Mm. like almost 30, 30 years of my life. So, you know, fast forward, I ended up in Canada. I went to business school there. And in between this time, like every maybe three to four years, we would go back and visit my family in Sichuan. And I'm an only child. So it was just my parents and I. And so we would go and visit my grandparents and cousins and stuff. And I just remember my earliest like food memory was like eating with my family in these like street side stalls, like these restaurants that are known as fly restaurants in Chengdu. So fly restaurants. So literally in Chinese, it's Guan. It is a, uh, what you refer to ho- as hole in the walls that are so delicious, they attract people like flies. Mm. So it's such a unique and dynamic aspect of the of Sichuan, is specifically Chengdu's like dining scene. I think it's a beautiful kind of, you know, socioeconomic, socioeconomic equalizer because you have people from all different backgrounds just sharing a table, rickety stools on the sidewalk. Everyone's just there in that. pursuit of flavor. And that's it. You know, there's no judgment or pretense. So I really love that experience. And that was my earliest memory of like delicious, like dumplings, noodles, like slathered in chili oil and, you know, just like lighting up your taste buds. So later on, but, you know, growing up in the West and my mom would cook for us at home, but she would have to adapt a lot. You know, there was never the ingredients that she was used to. So the cooking or her version of Chinese food was, you know, ended up somewhere near neither here nor there. I couldn't classify it if I tried. And and we kind of got more and more out of touch with you know, our home and, you know, my language ability wasn't, wasn't 
as good anymore. So I couldn't communicate with my mm. cousins the same way I used to. And so I became more and more kind of like withdrawn from that. Why did you move around so much? Just curious. So my dad was a nuclear physicist. Uh-huh. Oh. He actually worked on the atomic bomb in China at one point. Um, but he, in order for us to kind of move to the West and for me to go to school um, in the West, he actually gave that up and became a professor. So we mm. moved with him to different university mm. towns and stuff where he would also like in Europe, we couldn't stay anywhere for more than a year because of visa issues. Mm. So right. until we immigrated to Canada, that's where he actually changed fields entirely. But uh, yeah, so after I graduated, I took a job in a tech company, which actually brought me to Asia. I, at the time, was like, oh, I'm, I'm pretty Western. Like, I didn't realize really that I was always kind of seeking that sense of belonging and not really finding it. But I thought I was, I thought I knew who I was. And then I ended up in China. I was in Beijing and then Shanghai. And I actually ended up spending about 10 years there. But when I first moved there, that's when I sort of, realized like I had kind of an identity crisis. I was like, wait, wait a minute, I'm not Chinese. I don't feel Canadian. Like what, what is going on? Who am I? And I think I was able to use food as like the way to really dig deep and try to peel back some of the layers. Mm-hmm. It just started out as like really enjoying the food. And like I would eat out all the time, explore the different regional restaurants in Beijing and Shanghai, mm-hmm. learning that Chinese food is like you know, so vast and complex. And there's so I, much there. There's so much so depth. Much. It's like more of a continent than a country. You know, I had very little understanding of it. And so I was just curious, you know, started exploring. That turned into a hobby of like writing about it, trying to expose more people to what I was learning. And, you know, one thing kind of led to another and I ended up, you know, in a career in food. But I think it was really the... It started out with a very selfish pursuit of like, you know, figuring out my identity. Mm-hmm. But then the more I got into it, the more I realized, you know, there was a broader mission that I had of trying to shift the narrative about Chinese food globally because I knew that there were perceptions about Chinese food that weren't necessarily mm-hmm. true. So being there and being like, you know, right there with the ingredients, with the history, with the flavors, I knew that I had this like access that I could you know, hopefully sure. give to other people. You might have not said why you went you you went to China for 10 years, but for whatever reason you did, like, were your parents, <clears throat> like, okay with this? Because, <laughs> mm. you know, so, you left the family. And well, then- initially I went with a tech job. So it was like a pretty solid corporate nine to five oh, type thing, okay. which they were like, the you know, yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> they were proud for a second. Yeah, yeah, they, were yeah. Proud. <laughs> they were, they were. So when I quit, though and I said hey mom and dad I'm actually opening a restaurant in Shanghai that was like not cool (laughs) you know they were like wait a minute you're telling us that you're so my grandmother actually would would say she said you're throwing away your golden rice bowl like golden rice bowl is what (laughs) they refer to like a steady job because like all my parents wanted to do you know they they gave up so much to immigrate to you know Canada and all they wanted ever for me was a steady like you know, security, right? Steady yeah. job. And and then here I was throwing that away, like a very coveted, you know, high paying whatever job and diving into the unknown. And they're like, wait, you're you're telling us you're washing dishes at a restaurant? And I'm like, well, it's my restaurant. Yeah. And they're like, but still. Yeah. And so it was like, it took some time. I would say they were definitely 
you know, they didn't disown me or anything. They're like supportive, you know, but at the end of the day, they had to support me, but, but they were definitely very fearful. And I think, you know, I had to work through a lot of like fear that I felt that my parents had ingrained in me, like the immigrant mentality of like, you know, failures always around the corner. Yeah. You know, you can never be too sure, like all these things, which I had to overcome in order to like gain the, the confidence to even start my own thing. That, that's crazy. Like, that, that is rare. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like all the Trump, the stuff that I'm going through right now right. <laughs> with, my, with my folks, you know, right. they're, they're still finally kind of like, oh, I'm kind of making it, I guess. Yeah. Like, but you draw, like I also was in tech. Yeah. And then I left that to do this. And you can imagine my mother's face, probably the same uh-huh. as your parents, going like, yeah. what are you doing? Yeah. How, how did you break that? Probably a terrible word, but how did you break that brainwash? Like how, mm. because a lot of people stay in line or how were you dealing with that? And like, how did you find the courage, I guess? I think it took me some time, right? Like I started when I graduated. Well, first of all, even going to business school was like kind of a compromise with my parents. My dad's <clears> a scientist and they wanted me to be a doctor or whatever mm. i actually wanted to be an artist I, I was like intent on going to art school and they were like no way in hell you're going to art school so somehow <laughs> business school was like a weird compromise i think because a you know a family friend's daughter was going to business school so i was i thought she was really cool so i was like okay i'll do that too <laughs> i had no idea what business school was after i graduated i did kind of i was too scared to kind of do anything venture out on my own i took you know, several corporate jobs. And Mm. it took me probably about five years before I was, I felt like I had gathered enough kind of, you know, experience under my belt that I could venture out and do something. And the way that I kind of picked my corporate experiences too were, you know, I was trying to get as broad of like an experience base as I could. So I actually started out a PNG in brand management. Mm. And I think that's actually a really great training ground if you want to be an entrepreneur, because as a brand manager, you're kind of in charge of a brand. You're like, you know, you're in, you have to work with all these cross-functional teams in order for them to, you know, do what you want them to do. Cause all these cross functions, they actually work on many different brands. Right. So it's an exercise in entrepreneurship. Mm. And then, you know, after a couple of years, I went to <clears throat> Blackberry where I did more kind of product management and BD and strategic BD. And that allowed me to learn a new set of skills. And the same with the next tech company I went to. Do you guys know what Blackberry is? <laughs> yeah, it's the fruit. Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> I, I know what it is. You know what it is? Yeah, okay, so, good. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so I think so. there was kind of a gradual step there. I was looking back in like a scrapbook that I made when I was eight years old. And I was shocked to see when it that's pages said what I want to be when I grow up I wrote a CEO and I'm sure I had no idea what CEO meant at the time (laughs) really but like for some reason I just was even at that age was like oh I'm gonna do my own thing and I remember you know when I was working in the corporate world every couple of years I would kind of get restless and be like all right I feel like I've learned a lot from this and now I feel like it's the the scale is starting to tip like they're getting more out of me than I'm getting out of this company where I I was always thinking in that way like how do I extract as much like experience from this you know job and then I would switch to the next thing Mm -hmm. so I think the whole time I was thinking like what skills how do I learn on someone else's dime Mm -hmm. so that I can do my own thing right and so I think this like I think I just can't work for anybody. I think that's not everybody. You yeah. know, some people are like that, right? Like you're nodding. Yeah. I think like when you know, you know, like you're just not cut out to obey and follow instructions. You want to create and think artists, designers, chefs, whatever, like you're just there to 
create something. And I think that's what propelled me. And yeah, and got me past all the hurdles, even though, you know, like the brainwashing, like you said. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. You think that's like one of those, like, it's like that itch or like that that spoken voice in the back? Because I definitely had that through my career. I'm hearing you talk about this where it's like you kind of reach a cap at a firm kind of like, okay, I, I don't really want to be here anymore. I don't know why, but I feel like there's just no more gain here. And it's time for me to jump exactly. ship. And it does, sometimes I've, I've made leaps of faith where I didn't even have anything lined up. I was yeah, just like, I just, this is useless. Yeah. Right. Okay. That's incredible. Absolutely. And, and would you say that kind of started though, as the eight year old who was like writing CEO in the scrapbook, or like, do you feel like there was a little more like influence from say how your parents were, because you know, your dad was a a nuclear scientist, right? Do you mm-hmm. think that had some sort of impact? I think I always knew that corporate life and climbing a corporate ladder wasn't for me just because like of my initial experience there. I didn't actually know what a path of entrepreneurship could look like, right? But I think when I was in China, it was actually a really exciting time to be in China. It just kind of felt like anything's possible. There was a lot happening. There was a lot of energy. And, you know, I met the most interesting people and I think through through that experience, I just was really trying to do as much as I could and see what what interested me, you know. And food happened to to stick. Yeah. And was yeah. this more towards the economic mm-hmm. boom, like in like the kind of mid two thousands type of era? Or you this was like two thousand eight, yeah. like right after the Olympics. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it was like yeah. there was electricity in the air in Beijing, yeah. and like everybody. Like everybody was in Beijing from from all over China, but also all over the world. And you just met the most interesting people, best conversations. I worked for actually for a little bit for a microfinance nonprofit there. So it was just like you kind of felt like it was like a, the Wild West. Like you could anything goes. Yeah. yeah. You've done everything. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, like literally everything. Yeah. I think that was the longest intro we've had. <laughs> that was fantastic. Yeah. yeah. If you can speak on more detail about how you got into chefing, you know, you fell in love with food, but how, and then where did that take you? Yeah. So I, I just really started like, again, like studying Chinese cuisine. I was really fascinated with like the different regions in Beijing. I used to do food tours. So I would take people around and I would learn kind of like as I would go and I would share what I was learning. And, Mm. you know, there's like Beijing is like the capital. So you've got all these regional government offices and all of those government offices have restaurants because the government officials from those provinces want authentic food from their hometown. So they send out chefs and then those are open to the public. So they've become like the most authentic version of those regions cuisines. So like that was my first taste of like Xinjiang food and like Yunnan food and like, (laughs) you know, you know, um, like Manchurian food, Hakka food, you know, it's like, so so amazing and so i i just was writing about it i would kind of like try to figure out my own like figure out how to cook on my own i eventually like did more kind of media stuff like when andrew zimmern or eddie huang would come to china i would take them around be on their shows and stuff and eventually i think i just like I mean, it was really probably a bit of hubris, but I was like, I think I want to open a restaurant. So I had met some partners who had the funding and I had this idea. I wanted to create like a modern Chinese fast casual restaurant, kind of like the model of Chipotle. Mm -hmm. Okay, so where you can choose your mains, your proteins, your sides and and whatnot. And, And that was really just like, okay, I think I have a good palate. Let's just figure out what the menu 
could look like. And since it's fast casual, it's pretty casual. So like it doesn't have to have super high technical, you know, ability. So so that was kind of the the first thing. Mm. Now, after a couple of years of running that, which was very successful, I realized like I want to dig deeper. Like I want to and and also like we were doing regional Chinese. So that's like a broad, a broad, like, you know, number of, of cuisines. And I realized like, I kind of would rather know much more about one thing than a little bit about everything. So I wanted to just go back to my roots. So went to Chengdu. I sought out a chef there who is an incredible chef. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, can I just come and hang out with you and just like work in your kitchen? So I was able to spend like several months with him and his wife and learned so much about, you know, techniques, the flavor profiles of Sichuan, which are, which is what Sichuan food is famous for. And also the ingredients so that mm-hmm. was like really eye opening to see like one ingredient is not the same as another, you know, there's, you know, a dozen different grades of just black beans and, you know, ripseed oil and, you know, chilies and, and it makes a world of difference when you kind of really seek out like the highest quality, right? And the the access was also really difficult. Like these are ingredients that only like Michelin level chefs have access to. Um, even, even when you're in the region. Yeah, yeah, because oh. there's like real, there's like good quality. There's like stuff that's available oh, out in the market, okay. and then yeah. there's stuff that is not available. You have mm. to really know, yeah, you know. Yeah. So through him, I was able to like access, you know, the best quality. Doubanjiang, fermented fava bean paste, mm-hmm. which is the soul of Sichuan cuisine. Um, the most incredible oils, the most incredible Sichuan pepper, which is from this region, four-hour drive from Chengdu, um, where it's so electric, electrifying, and um, it's really transformative when you use it. So, you know, through that experience, I was like, okay, let me take this foundation of knowledge, but like try to express something that's unique to me. And so that's where Fly by Jing as like the supper club kind of came about, Mm. but definitely had a lot of fear doing that. You know, I had only trained for a little bit. I I was mostly self-taught. You know, I definitely could not, would not ever compare myself to a trained chef by any means. But for me, I was just like, for me, it was more about self-expression, trying to figure out who am I, what am I trying to say through these ingredients and these flavors. And so I was able to be a bit more, just more playful with it as well. I was immediately thinking, are you talking about those urging tell chilies? Am I saying it right? Yeah, uh, the tribute peppers, the actually. Tribute peppers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're them, yeah. citron pepper that's so high quality. They were used to be only for the emperor. So mm-hmm. it's from this one region. And it's really like like no other citron pepper you've ever you know, experience. It's so potent. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting you bring up the point because I think especially in American palates and what I've realized now cooking three years now is a lot of them don't see the difference between, say, for example, chili flakes. And it's fascinating because when we finally started diving deeper, it was like, wait a second. No, there's like five or six different tiers minimum, minimum of black pepper. And even then there are different types of black pepper that you can get that yeah. have different aromatics. And then it's like about, you know, the knowledge and the demand and the supply, because if you, the majority of people don't, aren't aware. And mm-hmm. so what you find in grocery store shelves are like kind of like very low tier stuff. And then you <gasps> talk about storage <laughs> no. and like, you know, spices <laughs> yeah. have a very short period of life. Yeah. So the citron pepper that we source, you know, 
we tell people to keep it in the freezer because that's how you can maintain the, the oil content mm. of the citron pepper. You know, it has such a short period of potency. And if you've had like other, uh, you know, single origin spice companies like Diaspora, you taste their turmeric. It is worlds apart from turmeric that you get in the grocery store, wow. you know, yeah. with the quotes, too, especially. Yeah. 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 I think the best comparison I've been able to explain to people is like butter, because I think everyone's had butter. Mm -hmm. right? You go to your grocery store, you go to your Ralph's or whatever, you get your butter. It's good. Right. And then you have like the branded ones like Land O'Lakes. It's like, oh, that's a little bit better. But then you start going into like Beurre Blanc and then you have like the fancier ones from Belgium. And then it's like, holy cow. This, I, that, that wasn't supposed literally. to be fun. Literally. <laughs> that wasn't yeah. But like, it's a world difference. I think those are like kind of the distinguishments of uh, how I able to describe to people yeah. how big of a difference ingredients can make. Absolutely. Yeah. That's so yeah. cool. Yeah. For, for someone that the commoner, if someone doesn't have that knowledge, you're like, oh man, I got this from Ralph's. This is the best. Yeah. Try it. <laughs> you know, and spice I'm, here. I'm, you know, I have chefs on both my sides just telling me like, hey, this is, this is not the truth. But favorite fly restaurant. I'm curious. Oh. This might break social media. <laughs> there is a restaurant in Chengdu that I go to every single time. Well, there's so many. It's literally like, like impossible to pick a favorite. But 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 one that I would say is is very iconic is it's it's a it's across from a temple. Okay. It's been there for like 100 years. My like my mom and my grandmother used to go. Wow. And they specialize in street snacks. So Things like, and they specialize in like mung bean type noodles, green bean type oh, noodles, yum. like starch kind of noodles, and also sweet water noodles. So, okay. sweet water noodles, if you aren't familiar, is a Chengdu specialty. And these are really thick, almost like kind of like the width of like one or two chopsticks, okay? Really thick al dente noodle, which is pretty Ooh. rare in Chinese. You know, Chinese noodles usually are not al dente, but this is like chewy al dente. And the and sometimes it's usually like, you know, one bowl might just be one long strand. Are, and these, are these the ones that are like partially clear looking like but they're whitish? They're or? not clear because it's yeah. wheat. Right, so right. it's mm. not a starch. Uh, it's not one of those mung bean starches, okay. although they also have those. But this sweet water noodle. It's, it's, it's characterized by the noodle texture itself, but also by the sauce. So the sauce is iconic. It's like this garlicky chili oil mm. with a sweet soy, like a reduced sweet soy and, and a, like a little bit of roasted sesame paste. So you're getting like a really nice, like coating of sauce on, on the strand of yeah. noodle. It's amazing. So amazing, actually yeah. the Zhong sauce that I developed is inspired by that. Well, it's inspired yeah. by the Zhong dumplings, which they also have. And so Zhong dumpling and sweet water noodle is very similar, the sauce. The only difference is really the sesame paste. Mm. So I have a recipe for sweet water noodle in my cookbook, Ooh. which, you know, as a shortcut, you could just use Zhong with a little bit of uh, sesame paste and you can get there. So. Okay. Wow. <laughs> but, okay. That, that's, that's a great hack, but how do I get this noodle though? You can, it's <laughs> very easy to make okay. actually. So I also have a recipe for that in yeah. the cookbook and yeah, it's, it's just flour, water, salt. You let it rest a little bit and then, you know, you kind of cut it, you, you roll it out into like a rectangle and you just cut it like into the width of like a chopstick. And then you take each one after it rests and pull it out a little bit. And that's it. 
You're not going to do the whole dance as well? Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah that's a different noodle. <laughs> Start to be kind of funny. Yeah. Fast forward to 2018, you launched Fly by Jing, mm-hmm. right? Six months later when you launch it on, on Amazon specifically, you become the most, I think, search or number one chili on the hot sauce on the, yeah, hot sauce on the platform. Yeah. What are your two most proudest moments for the brand, for developing that on the creative side? Like, oh, if this flavors, this is it, you know, something like that. But also on the business side where you're like, you know, I, I killed that as far mm-hmm. as like negotiations and whatnot. I think in terms of like the creative side, one big moment for us was when we did our rebrand. And that was, you know, initially when we first launched, the jar looked very different. It was my goal with the, the jar at first was really just to like, you know, stop people in their tracks and have them, you know, wonder why they expected Chinese food to look differently. Yeah. Right. Cause is that, it was is that you, this current one. Or? Yeah. So I, re- yeah. I, I remember seeing the, the old one, the old one mm. was like bright neon. neon. Yeah. yeah. And it was like, Hey, look at me now. And then yeah. this one is more dumbed down, but it still like has that like eye catching characteristic I mean, about it. You could definitely see it on every shelf. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, cool. <laughs> so the, the, I think the reason behind that was, you know, like I never set out to be like, I'm going to, I'm going to start this sauce company and like, it's going to create a category, this and that. I was really just trying to change people's perceptions about Chinese food. Right. So with my Kickstarter, I was like, okay, you know, we're changing a paradigm. We, we believe that Chinese food is, can be the most high quality, no preservatives, no whatever, and that it deserves a premium value, you know? So with the, in the neon, that was the only purpose I had was just to like stop them in their tracks and, you know, have them question their internal biases. Like, why did I expect Chinese food to look differently? Right. But after we launched, you know, we had a ton of supporters, but we also had more, maybe even detractors and people who were like challenging us. Like, you know, this is not my experience of what Chinese food tastes like. So therefore it must not be Chinese food. Right. Or how dare you charge $15 for this when Mm. Chinese food is not supposed to be expensive. It's supposed to be cheap. So a lot of people I realized had these preconceived notions about what Asian food or Chinese food or, you know, pretty much ethnic food should be. They like to place it into a box, not let it evolve, not let it change past their own experience of it. Right. But it's something that's very, like, interestingly, only reserved for ethnic cuisines. Mm -hmm. Right. Like Chinese food also, by the way, is allowed to evolve and it has to evolve. Like all cuisines, if they don't evolve, they die. I lived in China and I knew that, you know, I was watching kind of what was happening in Chengdu and all the new school sort of fly restaurants popping up run by next generation of chefs and, you know, and food lovers. And I was like, people are doing really interesting things here. However, in the West, there seems to be this preoccupation with trying to keep Chinese food in a box and not let it evolve. Mm -hmm. Right. So I was like, that's not actually real. Like in China, food is like evolving. And also... What is more interesting is when someone is expressing something very unique to to themselves. And as a chef, you know, no one questions why a chef's version of something is is that like it is expected, especially in fine dining, that this is their personal expression. Right. Yeah. And, you know, whereas like when it comes to Chinese chili sauce, everyone has an opinion. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the point where I was like, I think we need a rebrand. 
not only to tell our story more fully, because at the time, something I would get a lot is if I sat down and had a conversation like this and I told people my story, why I was doing what I was doing, the response was always, oh, my God, I had no idea. That's so cool. Like, I had no idea. I just thought it was a cool looking jar. Mm -hmm. And I realized, you know, right now we we're building this brand on online. We have the luxury to be able to create, you know, that brand world and tell that story. However, one day we're going to be sold in stores and someone might be seeing us on shelf for the first time. That might be the first point of contact. So how do you like get them to know the story without me sitting down with you? Right. right. So that was where the idea for a rebrand came about. And with the rebrand, I worked with an agency here in L.A. called Day Job. And they they're really talented. And I spent weeks with them just like literally telling them the story, sharing like, you know, all of these um, resistances I was coming up against, all these questions and challenges I was always answering to. And we we came to this tagline together, which is not traditional, but personal. And I think, you know, once we landed on that, it just clicked. And anyone that I told that to, it just like there was a recognition and they kind of knew exactly what that meant. And then the other thing is, you know, I shared a story with them about how when the first time I sh I showed my family in Sichuan this sauce and this sauce that's made with only Sichuan ingredients, you know, made in Sichuan, their reaction was, oh, well, this is interesting, but this tastes different. Like we, mm -hmm. we're not used to this. Mm -hmm. And so we have this Venn diagram on the jar that says Sichuan people and everyone else. And the common ground is this tastes different. And that's again, to drive home the point that this is a personal expression. Like no right, one else yeah. is going to you know, take those same 18 ingredients and put it together in the same way that I did. Right. Yeah, right. And so what we wanted to show that this, the personal expression deserves to have a place and not just my expression, everyone else's expression too. There's so many forms of Chinese food, Chinese sauces, even just chili crisp. Like there's thousands of different styles. And so by taking up that space and being like, okay, we deserve to have this space where really you know, what I didn't realize at the time, but what ended up happening was we really opened the doors for more people to come in and also, you know, stake a claim for themselves as well. It's definitely made a huge impact in, in terms of just paving the uh, palette for this stuff, which is incredible. You know, I've even when we started, I think there was still a lot of resistance. This is 2020 when I first started cooking is there was resistance from even some of my friends going like, hey, wait a second, like, that's not Cantonese. It's not a Cantaloupe. So they were like, that's not Cantonese food. And I'm like, I know it's not. <laughs> it's just some of the right. flavors and elements that I like. Right. And it's inspired by that, right? Yeah. And I think it takes time and it takes someone with your tenacity to go, this is my expression to mm -hmm. really push for it. Because I think even as a chef now, I get resistance. Like mm -hmm. we just did a Filipino French series. A lot of Filipinos came in saying, this is not Filipino food. I would never pay this much for Filipino food. And then when they try it, they see that the expression really honors the original kind of core idea, but it's mm -hmm. not traditional. Yeah. Right. And I, I think it's incredible that you've done that because now pretty much all my friends go, I've had fly by Jing. I love chili oil now because a lot of my friends did not like it back in the day. Mm -hmm. And you no, know, just, I think that's my way of saying thank you for paving that path for people like us to be able to do that. Oh, well, thank you for continuing to do this work. Right. Like I think what's been beautiful about this journey is like seeing how much the environment has changed and how, how many people are really like, you know, taking that ownership and claim of their identity and culture. So, sure. yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do want to add, you know, you're, you're, you're Chinese. Mm -hmm. You came from a tech background. You transitioned from that tech background into, you know, your restaurant, Baoism. And then you, you know, 
proceeded on to create your own underground supper club. Minus the restaurant part, that sounds awfully familiar. And, and, <laughs> and, and it's this guy right here, you know, you guys are self-made chefs. So I, I consider cooking and sharing food like almost like a alternate love language. And just hearing you guys speak about food, like about how you can show Los Angeles like, hey, I can do Canto in a different way. And, and how you can show like the world or the United States like, hey, like I can show you what what Szechuan and Chengdu is about. Like that's really special just because there's that passionate love for it. And there's 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 no other reason. You guys just that's that's why. And so, yeah, I think that's yeah. super great. And I love, yeah. love to hear that story from both you guys, because it's almost like a mirror image. <laughs> oh, okay. If you guys go like this, yeah, if, if you put, if you put me like ten years later and with, with the success you've had, but yes. I remember when you and I first met too, finally in person, because I think we had heard of each other, and finally at that event that we were at together was, it, you and I sat down for a little bit and talked a little, and it was like, oh wait, you're in tech, and then it felt like the whole Spider-Man <laughs> meme was like, oh, wait, 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 but did you, you also right, left to go do yeah. cooking, and now, oh now you're doing yeah. CPG? Wow, like I want to yeah. go to CPG, and, and like, it's, it's, what are yeah. you gonna do? No. <laughs> But we'll get there. <laughs> Speaking of that love, that love language, I think Jasper wants is ready to show you the next course of love. I think so. <laughs> food, 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 food. Course of love. Great course story. of love. <laughs> yeah, this is perfect. Yeah, so okay. I'm going to go ahead and prepare our what we call the favorite dish. It's the main mm. dish and an entree that we're serving currently at the supper club. This one's very heavily inspired by everything that you have brought to the table in terms of your sauces and your powders. Mm. Uh, it will take me a little bit, but I'll be right back. Can't wait. Thank yeah. you. Awesome. Thanks. Now that we finally got settled, this is the main course or our favorite dish here. And at Rosalind, it's always usually the most decadent one that we do. Mm -hmm. This particular one is actually a dry aged New Zealand lamb that we dry age in-house for seven days to bring wow. out the flavor, a little bit of kombu wrap to finish it off as well. The bottom is a mint and micro cilantro salad with just a little bit of olive oil. Because the reason of the shine though and all the extra flavor and the aromatics that are in the air, and I wish everyone could actually smell this, we're using two of your specific items uh, that you provide. One of them is the zong sauce. Mm. We actually burn the zong sauce with mm. burnt garlic and chilies ourselves using mm. your tribute chilies. Wow. We make extract extra chili oil onto it, put it on there so it's a little smokier. And then we mm. have your mala spice that this is actually aged in. So there's layers of that pepper that's sitting in there and that's why you're getting wow. that beautiful char. I know we did lamb before, but like I, I really no, wanted no, no, no. to showcase something that's very Northern Chinese. Mm. I remember when I visited like Shanghai and, and Sichuan for a little bit back in the day, mm -hmm. one of my favorite things to eat was like cumin lamb. Yeah. But this is kind of like using your sauces and, and, and bringing out those flavors. So please wow, enjoy. can't wait. Let's do it. Yeah. Hopefully I did the flavors right. Yeah. Uh -huh. Are you just going all in, huh? Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, wow. This is amazing. Wow. wow. I've never seen like chong and mala used together like this. This is great. Out of all the success you've had, looking back on your whole journey, tell me about that time that was so profound where you just like fucking failed and that you just remember and that mm. will always stay with you. Well, where do I start? There's so many. The whole Modest. journey is always filled with ups and downs, sometimes in the same day, right? Like it's really not for the faint of heart. Any entrepreneur will tell you this. Like you really have to really want what you're doing because there's many opportunities to quit. The first time I really knew failure was when my business partnership with my first restaurant, Baoism, failed. Mm. You know, we were doing very, very well. 
and we were getting tons of accolades and press attention. And my business partner was this like young Shanghainese kid who whose family had a lot of money. Mm. And I was like in my naive, you know, 25 year old, you know, self without any experience going into a business partnership. I was like, well, that's great. He's got money. I've got the idea. And like, let's do this. Right. And I ended up doing the majority of, you know, the work because it was my idea. Also, we had different concept of what, you know, the value of time and money was to us. And what ended up happening was when we got a lot of media attention, a lot of it was on me. And basically, I think egos got to the best of my partner and he made the decision that he didn't need me in the business anymore. So Mm. I was pushed out of this business that I built myself. Well, you were the um, chef, though. No, we were. I mean, it was fast casual. So we, oh, we standardized recipes and it was like it. anyone could replicate it. So a very tough lesson in like, you know, how to <clears throat> pick the right business partner. I think anyone who's an entrepreneur and who's had multiple businesses have probably had a failed partnership in some in some mm. way or form. Right. And so at the time, you know, it was devastating because I poured myself into this business. I hadn't paid myself for like two or three years. Meanwhile, this person had, you know, their parents funding their entire lifestyle and there was no difference to them. Whereas, you know, I had felt like I lost everything. You know, I I bounced back very quickly from the outside looking in, you know, I immediately packed up and went to Chengdu and started studying with this chef and started figuring out what Fly by Jing was. Mm -hmm. And I knew I had this like inner confidence that you know I had done the majority of the work up until that point so I had gotten that experience under my belt and I knew that if I did a next thing I would be able to do it better so while I had that confidence I also had lost some confidence in like my maybe my judgment my ability to like pick the right business partner my ability you know to choose you know who to trust and I think it took me many years to kind of recover from that yeah and so we don't like this guy (laughs) No, not even to the supper. Club. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't, it was like many years until, you know, I was able to, you know, now I am opening up SWA and Larchmont and I have a business partner who I really respect and we work together so well, but it took me many years to get to that point where I felt comfortable, you know, letting yeah. someone else in where fly, fly by Jing, I almost like went too far the opposite direction where I was like, okay, I'm going to call this company Fly by Jing so people know mm-hmm. whose it is. Yeah. And also I'm going to exert all control. And, you know, and I think I held too much control too tightly. Mm-hmm. And that not only limited our growth, it also limited, you know, my bandwidth and my physical ability to like, you know, really run this business. So really run my, ran myself down to the bone building this. So a lot of lessons like throughout, sure. but that was probably like the biggest, like, you know, Memorable thing that life. I think yeah. really set the scene for what I was going to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, having a restaurant is a big deal and it's your baby. I mean, I don't know. <clears throat> I mean, you, Rosin is essentially kind of like a similar thing. Almost as your there. Baby. We're getting there. Yeah. Um, but having to give that up, I mean, that's probably going to be in your memories forever, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, like, that's that sounds tough. That yeah. sounds really tough. Yeah, for sure. I'm also just so fascinated by, you know, I'm trying to just kind of dive deep because I, I like to kind of see both sides. Like, what would go on in his mind knowing that you're the face, knowing that you had the publicity? You know, um, you were talking about press really just surrounding all around you and what catapulted you up for him to be like, you know what? No, this is my business. Because that seems very short-sighted. 
Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. you're literally like saying Gordon Ramsay, you <clears> can't mean, have your restaurant. He was younger than me. So yeah. I was 25. He was probably 23. You wow. know? Oh my so I think, like, ego, I think just like immaturity, I think hubris, everything. You know, a lot of people go into restaurants big out of ego, right? Like, people just want their names on a on a restaurant. Like, they want to say, I own a restaurant, you know? So I think the motivations were maybe <laughs> not. I've heard that so much. Yeah. But, you know, the motivations were probably skewed on, on that one. And I was just too naive to kind of see. To me, it was like, oh, simple. Like, I have an idea. He's got money. Like, that. let's go. I, I learned a lot of lessons, like, throughout my life in terms of, like, how do I, you know, accept help from others and not feel like I have to do everything on my own, right? I didn't have to, like, take it all on myself, you know? And if I accepted that help or that, you know, contribution from, from this person, I might have, like, looked at the partnership differently. Like, this is maybe not the right partnership if, if you're not willing to put that in, right? It's a lot of lessons learned um, on every, from every front, yeah. If we can focus on just when Fly Badging, the brand was, was, came to existence, can you recall a time when it was just so heavy that, you know, you, you just want to maybe not actually quit, but those thoughts kind of, yeah. Dug in. Constantly in the beginning. Yeah. Like, especially when I was doing it by myself. Mm. And especially when I was doing the supper club. Because, you know, I'm like, cooking is hard. Oh. Right? Especially when, you know, I didn't have the confidence of, like, I've worked 10 years in the kitchen, this and that. And I was just, like, trying to do stuff. And standing up late nights, like, you know, alone in the kitchen, just, like, prepping or whatever. And just being like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> yeah. You know, like, that's not so familiar. <laughs> like my whole body aches and I'm just like standing there at midnight, you know, and it, there was a lot of moments then where, you know, it felt, I mean, you're, it's a very lonely journey as well, you know, and I mean, it you're didn't have lonely. to be, I, I really made it that way, <laughs> but to back up a little bit, when I was doing mm. the, the pop-ups, I didn't know that I was going to become a sauce company. It was not the plan. Mm -hmm. It was just like, let me just see what, where this goes. And the events was like, I, I was doing events. I was also doing consulting on the side. And like, and I had told some friends like, oh, I think I want to maybe like explore making a sauce and like maybe bring it to the US. And after many months, they saw like that I hadn't really taken action towards it. And they were just, I, I had one friend who really called me out and she was like, what are you doing? Like, you're still doing all these consulting projects for what? Like for security, for money, yeah, okay. But I've heard you say this thing that you're just not following through on. So I realized at that point that I was kind of maybe delaying what I really wanted to do because of fear. And it took me kind of a really long time and, and a lot of like work on myself. I think entrepreneurship is often like work on yourself as well, right? Oh, yeah. Like you can't <laughs> be an entrepreneur and go through everything and the trials and tribulations that come with being an entrepreneur without working on yourself and, and facing some of your initial internal blocks yeah, and, you know, belief systems mm -hmm. and changing those well, things. You come, so out, come out different. You come out different. <laughs> <laughs> and so it takes, you know, a lot of courage. It takes a lot of like courage to examine yourself and like, you know, what, what is there? What's it, what's actually there that's preventing you from taking those mm -hmm. steps? And like for me at the time, it was like self-therapy. I was like reading all these books about 
like literally self-help books. I was reading Tony Robbins because I was like, how do how mm. how come all these white men have so much confidence? Like, <laughs> how come they walk in a room and they just command, you know, attention and they demand people to, you know, give give them funding for whatever they do? Like where where does that come from? So I really like study like a science. I was like, yeah. I need to read everything that Tony Robbins writes. Right. And um, did some of his exercises and like they worked, you know, it worked over a long period of time, but I was like really intent on trying to shift my perspective of like leave behind who I thought I was and try to be someone, someone that would start a business, you know, mm. someone that would venture out. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. That's a constant evolution. I think that is like nonstop. And I'm sure you're seeing this now, even though in, in our eyes, you've hit critical success. Right. But for you like this evolution continues on mm. to develop new products or even as you go into different markets and now with your cookbook as well right? mm -hmm. like doing so many things yeah. and yeah i mean the journey never ends yeah. like and every phase of the business demands like a different version of you as an entrepreneur so it's constant evolution for the business for you as a leader for everybody that works for you it's it's very dynamic it's yeah. a test of personalities for sure especially yeah. dealing with this guy and Speaking of personalities and evolution, you mentioned it before, but can you speak to us about the relationship of Flyby Jing, what that represents, right? Like whatever that represents to you and the purging of the alias of Jenny. So what I was saying earlier about like kind of you, you grow with the company. That's exactly kind of what happened with me. I started the company in a pursuit of like finding my identity and the company has evolved a lot over the last five years. And so have I, and <clears throat> I found it really interesting how they've kind of grown in tandem, yeah. maybe not at the same pace or in the same direction sometimes, but like to me, it was, my identity was so intertwined with this business, you know, it was an extension of me, which, yeah. you know, it's kind of how it started, but actually it's no longer necessarily the case today because, you know, I also realized that there's a healthier way to approach, you know, your relationship with your business as well, that it doesn't need to be literally an extension of you. For me, I think the biggest point of growth was during pandemic when, when we were going through the biggest growth spurt at the company. You know, I mentioned earlier there was so much resistance and so much pushback and challenges to to us existing. And I felt like I was constantly like justifying our right to exist, the company's right to exist to like investors who told me there's no place for this. Mm -hmm. Chinese food is niche. It'll never take off. Even our, our detractors online saying like, you know, this is not Chinese food. Like basically feeling like, you know, my existence or this company is, 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 is not valid. And it was during COVID that I realized after several weeks of being locked up, locked in indoors and not having to face the outside world for a really extended period of time that I realized there was like a shift in kind of how I felt like just physically my nervous system was relaxed. I was like, why do I feel different? Why do I feel just like myself, you know? <clears throat> and I just realized it was because I haven't had to go out and, you know, fight for this right to exist for this this period of time, which I had become so accustomed to my entire life. And that I was actually okay. Like I did not need to justify 
that to anybody. And I did not need to live up to anyone else's expectations. And that was sort of the moment where it was kind of a light bulb that was like, actually, you can reclaim your identity. And, Mm -hmm. you know, to me, the first step towards that was reclaiming my birth name, Jing. So kind of overnight, I was like, all of a sudden, you know, okay with Jing, I realized I had this trauma attached to like the name and, you know, I was hiding behind Jenny all my life, but overnight that kind of disappeared for me. And I was like, oh, I, I think I'm Jing now. Yeah. So that was, out of the cocoon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of the first step, you know, and it's, it's not like the name change kind of changed everything. And all of a sure, sudden yeah, I yeah. reclaimed my power, right. but it was the first step and you know, it's a work in progress and it probably will happen for the rest of my life. Yeah. You know? yeah. 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 No, it was just so aligned that it was just kind of like just a really interesting story to kind of hear about, you know, from, from beginning to end. And now you go by Jing. And then I honestly, there's some articles that I see that you, you go by Jenny. Gao, oh, because they, like, they were from before 2020. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're older. Mm-hmm. And that's just so interesting to see, you know, and, mm-hmm. I, and I love that because it's self-empowering. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. kudos to you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, Jenny brought me here, you know, like Jenny did her work. And, but <laughs> she now we're ready. <laughs> She'll be on Jenny on the block. Yeah, yeah. That's fine. Thank God it's not called Fly by Jenny. Yeah. You know, right. I think that it would be a little right. different, but yeah. Yeah. Start in LA and then you slowly creep towards like the Midwest where they're not familiar with this or they don't even, they didn't even know it existed, you mm-hmm. know, like, hey, I'm here and you're representing us in, in a good way because like whether it's through flavor, whether it's through, the label and, and PR, things like that. Essentially, you're the Shang-Chi of Chile. Wow. If I, if I will see, you know, but you are doing a thing and, and it's appreciated because it's just inspiring other people that, that want to do the same, you know? Well, thank you. I, I think it's definitely been really, again, not planned. I just was trying to, you know. Shang-Chi didn't want the 10 rings. <laughs> I'm just saying. He didn't, did he? No. No. Okay, fair. That's a good parallel. Right, right. You know, it wasn't until, like, I did the thing, which was, like, launched this product, that I started seeing, and I was actually surprised to see the the reaction from from folks because um, more and more people were approaching me saying, like, I remember even Sandro from Sanzo. You know, now you see Sanzo everywhere. But, you know, he reached out before he launched, and we grabbed coffee, and he was like, I was inspired by your Kickstarter, like, just wanted to meet and like you know we've remained good friends and supported each other since and s- same with many other founders it's been really exciting to be a part of this like it almost feels like a close-knit group you know because we're all fighting against the same challenges mm-hmm. we're all trying to move towards the same goals and when when we all su- like when one succeeds we all succeed right so we want to make sure everybody succeeds because the stakes are high right it's like a film right like uh a it's unfair, but like when a new Asian film comes out, we all have to go support it because it can't fail. Yeah. Right. So it's kind of like that. So we, we support each other. And so it's been really cool to see the landscape shift and change. And so what I'm more proud of is not like seeing us in like 5,000 stores, but like is seeing <clears throat> so many other brands like us all come into the, you know, global aisle of a grocery store. And now it's no longer this stale aisle. It's, a destination aisle that people actually go to specifically to look for brands like ours. So yeah, it's been really cool. 
I, I love that that you bring that point up too, because I remember even just when the pandemic started, their chili oil, even at the Whole Foods in downtown, was shifted in a specific section. Mm-hmm. And now it's actually in the more general spices area next to your McCormick's and everything else. And you mm-hmm. kind of go, wait a second, there's actually a cultural shift that's happening mm-hmm. and you're really just making that happen by putting mm-hmm. your product out there. So yeah. it's incredible. Like access is huge. Yeah. yeah. I wonder what percentage of that you had to do with. Yeah. What percentage? Like, like, like the, <laughs> that, that shift of the aisles in the grocery yeah, store. Jay, yeah. I saw Jay Whole Foods knocking over the corner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I personally this go to every like, single <laughs> store. <and> then, <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. You need to hire a henchman for that. <laughs> <laughs> but the book of Sichuan Chili Crisp. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. On your cookbook. Yeah, so it's my first cookbook yeah. and it launched last week. Yes. Everywhere books are sold. And um, you're really, doing, you're doing book tour, right? I'm in the middle of the book tour right now. And then, can I remind you, you launched 2018. Like, think mm-hmm. about that. <laughs> and so, tell me what that means to you to be able to 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 execute that and and the event and yeah. Mm, it feels like no time has passed, and it also feels like forever. You know, because that's just time is very relative. Like when you're running a business. Um, but yeah, I've really been excited since the beginning to write a cookbook and, um, always had a dream to kind of to do that, but it took a while and, you know, it it was never a good time. In fact, when I did it, it wasn't a good time, (laughs) like, Hmm. but I kind of just like, I don't know what happened, but just kind of like turbo, like just made my way through the process. It, It only took six months and it normally takes a lot longer but the cookbook is out it's called the book of Sichuan chili crisp and actually like the reason why it took very long was because originally i'd always wanted to do a book that reflected the uh fly restaurants of Chengdu, you know but when this opportunity came to write this book it was during COVID, and we couldn't travel to china so it was kind of like so what can i do that's that i can do from here and also you know that was that worked with what I was doing at Fly by Jing and really, you know, basically amplified both. So the book is about Chili Crisp, but it's also a very personal story about my journey of starting this business, where I started to, to where we are now. And also, you know, the 85 recipes in there are not just chili. 85? <clears throat> wow. Yeah. Amazing. That's amazing. It's not just Chili it's six Crisp. six months? Mm. Can someone do the math? How many recipes is that per like week? <laughs> Yeah, who's the good <laughs> Well, a lot of the recipes are rooted in the the dishes that I used to make at the supper club. So, mm, okay. you know, I had that foundation. Right. So it was, it was not as difficult as starting from scratch. But uh, yeah, so it was really just to showcase like the versatile Sichuan flavors. And and also, you know, I used to call what I did like Sichuan soul food. You know, it's very soulful. It's comforting. Mm. It's very like homey, you know. So it's supposed to be approachable. So that's kind of the 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 way that the book is. It's it's very easy, accessible, approachable, you know, ways to incorporate citron flavors into your everyday. And, you know, you can really do stuff from scratch if you wanted to, or you can take a shortcut and use like fly budging ingredients. So yeah. it gives you the options. It's amazing. I'm, I'm kind of curious because I haven't had a chance to look at the copy of the book. I'm really excited about it, though. Does every recipe have a fly budging option in there? I think so. I think so. Whether it's a chili oil or a mala spice or even like an Argentine chili or a tribute pepper or like a tribute pepper oil, mm-hmm. 
or something. There, there, sh- there is, I think, in every recipe. Yeah. Genius there's also a play. dessert. <laughs> there's also a dessert section and a cocktail section. So yes. it really shows the, you know, the breadth of, of the flavors. Yes, 100%. I mean, we were playing with a lot of these flavors back in Series 6 when we were doing that of almost a year ago when we were doing Cantonese and Sichuan flavors combined. And actually, I think that's a perfect segue, but this next course will have something like that Great. in that sense. But remember when you were playing around with the Sichuan green chili oil that looks like the cologne bottle? Yes. We're putting mm. it into cocktails. We're putting it in cocktails. Yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, that's like one of my favorite products that we that we make, which unfortunately is being discontinued soon. Oh, um, what? Yeah, I know. We're just Stop being up. very... <laughs> We're just being very disciplined in like our SKU assortment mm. and like, you know, as much as that product is beautiful, I love it um, and I'm hoarding it, but <laughs> it's um, it's not one of our top, you know, and so it's just operationally, it doesn't make sense. But anyway, mm. it's one of the best products, I think. Um, and it's so bright, citrusy, you know, it's like, yeah, it's, it's very different. You could probably find it on the black market in about <laughs> six months, so be right. on the lookout. <laughs> Yeah, just to kind of finish up, what's one piece of advice, one specific piece of advice that you hold dear to you that you are able, because I know it's like, you know, you work this hard, but you're able to kind of share with, with all the sisters out there? You know, just broadly, I would say, you know, this is, this is going to be, you know, borrowing what Steve Jobs said one time where he said, like, you know, looking back, the... The dots connect, right? The through line of your life makes sense. But mm-hmm. when you're in it, it's rarely obvious where you're headed. And I think that's very true. It may look like, oh, in such a short period of time, like, you know, I built this thing. and But like I keep saying, it was never planned. I never had this master plan. Yeah. The I took steps at a time and each step revealed the path ahead, right? If I didn't take that step, I wouldn't have known where, where to go next. Right. So... For me, I think sometimes people like have a hard time getting started. And I definitely had the same challenges. But I think it's really just like doing and letting your intuition kind of tell you and take you to the next step. And from there, you know, the path is more obvious, you know, of where of where you can go. So just trusting that eventually you'll get to a point where looking back, it all makes sense. Mm. You know, so trusting that journey, trusting that your your intuition is guiding you in the right place. Got it. Thank you. I love that. Yeah. 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 Really just trusting your gut and, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and believing in yourself. I think that's the believing huge thing. in yourself. That's the hardest part. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, should we final course? I think so. Chef Jasper. Yeah. Yes. We're on the last part. And on your final note, we go into the final bite, which is the last dish that we do at Roslyn. It's always the most decadent, the most exciting and I'm very excited to prepare this for you because it really combines everything that you've done in terms of your flavors and what I love in Cantonese cuisine. So I'll be right back. So we were talking about the final bite and this is, I think, the epitome of everything that we do here at Roslyn. And also something that has evolved since we first met is one of the first dishes I think I served you was actually a version of this, which is our cilantro, roasted scallion, Sichuan peppercorn, chili mm. oil, chimichurri. This version has Ooh. your Sichuan chili crisp in it. Mm. And that's what we've been using in most of our newest renditions. Mm. But the fun thing I wanted to share about you is we were t- uh, <clears> with <throat> you is we were talking about CPG, right? And for our viewers, consumer packaged goods, right? Is this is actually the CPG version of it 
with your Sichuan chili crisps on top. Mm. It's added in with fresh micro cilantro. You have a stunning Hokkaido scallop that's on top. So that's different from what you had with us mm -hmm. before. And then on the side, because it's extra decadent, we have Santa Barbara spot prawns that are lightly fired with a little bit of smoked ocean trout roe that we use mesquite to smoke. So wow. you got all those different layers and flavors on there to really bring this together. But it's our final bite and our thank you for being on the Beautiful. show. Beautiful, thank you. Mm. And when you say it's a CPG product, like are you bottling this chimichurri or we, what do you mean? We plan to and uh, yeah. I'll need some advice, but this is actually a shelf stable one that can hold up to four months. Oh, wow, and that's so amazing. We've had some advice, uh, you know, in terms Great. of how to do this, but yeah. wanted to get your input too. So oh my goodness, yeah. <laughs> let's try this. Great. Oh man. Thank you. So excited. What's in the chimichurri? We have cilantro, roasted scallions, Sichuan peppercorns, mm. the green ones. We have pickled garlic and then oh, wow. Sichuan chili crisp in there to add additional oil on top. Yeah, it's beautiful. I love it's it. It's really nice. Mm hmm. Bajing, you are <laughs> killing it. Off with the food the <laughs> cpgs all oh, the food too yeah i'm killing it i'm killing all the <laughs> thank plates you. the food too yeah you killed it we'll make you um, another portion after <laughs> thank you congratulations on the upcoming swa at the marketplace because that, that's gonna be super cool i think it's very much needed if, you know before we end ending comments can you talk about that a little bit yeah or? so swa is a modern sichuan convenient healthy grab and go so mm. it is again you know i'm really into these like really efficient models of like fast casual or swat was actually, you know, inspired <clears throat> by, I've always really admired the Pret-a-Manger model. If you're familiar with Pret-a-Manger, it's like from the UK, but it's all over the world. It's a uh, grab and go oh. sandwiches, salads. Oh my God. When you said that, I was thinking Pret-a-Manager because they do that in Hong Kong. <laughs> oh oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Pret-a-Manger. There we go. Pret-a-Manger, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it has a very bougie name for like a very simple concept, yeah. right? Which you just go in and there's rows of fridges and then you just grab your lunch and it, it you know, it's breakfast, lunch, dinner, but it's like really fresh sandwiches, salads, sides, and then there's a coffee bar. So the food is mostly prepared offsite and then brought in, but it's brought in fresh daily. Mm. So you're just getting like a very reliable, convenient, quick option to eat. Yeah. But the flavor is not great, right? Like it's just simple sandwiches and whatever. Sure. So imagine that model, but combined with actual good flavors and like citron flavors. So that's been my dream. And so I'm really fortunate to have uh, found my business partners. So Stephanie is her family. She's from Chongqing. So like also from Sichuan region and her family has operated Sichuan restaurants in LA for many years. So they have that like expertise and know-how and together with like my sort of creative input and like the, the inspiration, you know, of bringing <clears throat> the Pret-a-Manger model with also ingredients that we source from Sichuan and, you know, ingredients and sauces that can really make scaling up the concept much easier because it's already standardized, right? And then also with our third partner, who is a group called Organic Orin, who are incredible at like making these gorgeous California organic farmer's market fresh, you know, meal prep delivery service. They, they operate this in, in LA. And both me and Steph were customers and we really love their approach to you know, ingredients and flavor. And we felt like there was some, you know, synchronicity there. And we wanted to marry, you know, I mean, both me and Steph, like we're living in LA, but we're from Sichuan. And we wanted, again, like these, this concept to fit into our lives today. 
but rooted in tradition. So sounds very familiar, like sounds very similar to Fly by Jing, right? Like it was, you know, rooted in tradition, but made for the way we eat today. And so I saw like this, this parallel and this, the ability to just like, you know, find the efficiencies in something that I'm already making and something that doesn't exist that we want to create. So it kind of, kind of was great. So that's, that's the concept and it's in the middle of Larchmont, which is walking area community, one of the few family and like community driven areas in LA. And it really just doesn't have any Asian food, you know, Mm -hmm. especially not Sichuan food. It's pretty close to K-Town, but like other than that, there's no access to Sichuan flavors. And then in addition, we wanted to also have a retail area that showcased like Asian, Asian made, you know, home goods and pantry items. Sure. Yeah. Well, Jing, you do so much for community. You're killing it. Have fun on your the rest of your book tour. Thank you. Con- congrats and good luck on the the opening of SWA. I can't wait to check it out. We're, we're, we should team meeting. Yeah, we'll have yeah, a team meeting team as well. Meeting. Yeah. yeah, we'll and, go um, get the cold down down noodles or yeah, yeah. sesame noodles. And most of all, thank you for sharing with our viewers, and listeners of your story. It means a lot to have someone like you in the community and 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 show showcase what you've done, what you're capable of. Anyone, but with that said, I think it wraps it up. My name is David, and I'm Jasper. And Heidi says farewell. Goodbye. <laughs> and this has been another episode of the Durian Pod. Until next time, guys. See Peace. you soon. If you if you enjoy that episode, like, comment, and subscribe. And you can find more episodes of the Durian Pod where you can listen to other podcasts.